Daniel chapter 1. I want to read it for you, and then we'll come back to my notes, um, our notes. I'm reading in the uh, ESV, theoretically. There it is. So it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands and with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them out of, uh, into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded uh, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Uh, Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore... He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord my king who has signed your food and your drink, for why should, he, uh, why should he see that you were in the worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? And so you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat with the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better uh, were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all vision and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the Neb chief of Nebuch uh, sorry chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's good to just read the word. Amen. Lord, we ask this morning that as we uh, contemplate this first chapter of uh, the book of Daniel, Lord, words that you ordained from the beginning of time, and, and in our hearing, we ask, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to understand and wills to follow what your Spirit would say to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, from the first two verses as well as 
uh, other areas from the Old Testament. We have uh, last week, I kind of just gave an over, overview, but there's a historical background to Daniel. And we know from those first two verses that we just read, uh, because of Judah's continual disobedience, because of their continual sin over a long period of time, God had given them over to judgment. He had prophesied over and over and over through the prophets. Listen, you got to turn, you got to turn, you got to turn, or what's going to happen is you're going to be taken over by Babylon. He actually names them by name through the prophets before it happened. It's pretty amazing. And so you have uh, the first two verses, basically King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes from modern day Iraq, comes over and, and he crushes Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and he takes many of the people captive or exiles, uh, he exiles them back to Babylon, takes them all the way back to modern day Iraq. And as was prophesied by Jeremiah, before all this happened, he said in Jeremiah 25 that this would happen in the that King Nebuchadnezzar would be the one who would do it. And it would be a 70 year period that they would be kind of in this prison, uh, be captive 70 years. That's a long time. How many of you can remember back 70 years? Don't raise your hand. 70 years, <laughs> 70 years is a long time to be in exile. But at the end of that time, God promised that he would let them go and they would come back. And part of those who would be exiled would be those related to the royal family great captives to have, people in royalty or in nobility. And we know that this was going to come about actually 80 years before it happened because in 2 Kings chapter 20, Isaiah prophesies to King Hezekiah. Remember he had like some kind of foot disease and he was going to die and he and he prays, God, please spare me. God spares him. And then you have Babylonians back then who sent envoys, eunuchs over uh, to see them. And what happens at the end of that time is, is he invites them all in and say, hey, look at all my stuff. Come check out the holy place. Come check out all these places. And the office, the, the prophet Isaiah says, basically, because you've done this, and because of the idolatry of our people, because you disregard God in such, in such a way, these people are going to come back and they are going to take away all of your stuff. They're going to take away everything, all the treasure that you just have shown them, all the holy things. They're going to be, it's going to be gone. You're going to be ransacked. And on top of that, your descendants are going to be taken back to Babylon. And they're going to become eunuchs in the house of the king. And that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. Judah was conquered and many of the royal lineage were taken back to Babylon as captains and they became eunuchs. So verse 3 says, we read, Then the king commanded uh, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature <clears throat> in the language of the Chaldeans. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, who is pretty crafty, he captures people. He takes their youth, their young, bright, beautiful people, and he decides he's going to take them in an indoctrination program for three years. They're going to get an indoctorate, not a, a doctorate. So basically what happens is the Babylonians at the end of the time would, would have these servants from a foreign land who would be totally uh, educated and reprogrammed in their culture and their ways and would be used by the king to serve uh, against their own people and in matters 
that the king wanted. And so the king calls this chief of the eunuch, Ashpenaz, uh, to, to do this task, to grab these young, bright-minded people. You know, it's interesting, the word eunuch, and we kind of just like gloss over it, but it's pretty horrific. It, it basically means someone who's, a, a male has been castrated. Everything got cut off. That's what happens. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to those who would be serving uh, in positions of offices, basically, in official positions in this uh, in this kingdom and also in others, in Babylonian and other kingdoms. And I imagine it was, I imagine uh, the reason for this was so there'd be no interference, no threat to the throne. You're, um, you're around the king and their wives and all those types of things. There would be none of that. Um, there would be no threat. And when you capture royal people, you don't want them to have kids because those are kings. And so they just eliminated all that through this brutal act. And so once they were castrated, if they were competent, they would then be able to serve in the court of the king. And that's how many of your Bibles have the word instead of eunuch, it says officials. Because the word eunuch also came to be known as official because they were kind of one and the same. If you remember back in Genesis, Joseph was a slave in the house of Potiphar who is called an official or was actually called a eunuch. That might be why his wife kind of tried to seduce Joseph. It was just a, you know, more of a political uh, wife than a real wife. But who knows? We don't know. But the point is, is that the chief of the eunuchs were to find uh, that he was over, were to find these royal captives from Israel and, and, and they were to be eunuchs, basically, and he was over the eunuchs. And, and that means Daniel and his, his friends were, were most likely eunuchs. They didn't have any kids, and this is a life they had. And if you look at them, they were young men when this happened to them. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had given guidance to his chief eunuch regarding who he would select from these captured Israelis. Now, I want you to check out who uh, is going to get into Babylonian university here? These are the qualifications. First off, you look in verse 3. It says they were to be the royal family of nobility. That's who, is, who he was looking for. Royal, noble people. People with pedigree, people with stature. That would cut a lot of the training out that needed to happen because they would know how to act in the court usually. But verse 4 gives us more. Secondly, um, and thirdly, basically, they were to be youths without blemish. They believed that these kids who were taken and who were taken captive were somewhere around 14 to 17 years old. 14 to 17 years old. And so, they, and, and they, were, they were young, and, and they were to be without blemish, meaning they were, there were to be no physical defects, no handicaps, none of those types of things. They would not accept it whatsoever. They had to be young, and they had to be uh, put together well. And, and so that's the next thing they says. They were to be of good appearance. Read these. Good appearance. What does that mean? Good looking. Young, no problems physically, good looking. Youthful, good looking men. And they were to be skillful in all wisdom and endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning. <clears throat> and so not only the physical appearance... But they had to have 
mental abilities. They were to be intelligent young people. And when you read these words, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, how many of us know the difference between all those words? Well, these people would. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, I look at these and I go, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge and understanding and learning? Yeah, these people would know that. They, they were mentally sharp. They had to be young, good-looking, and mentally sharp, highly intelligent, but not just in intelligent. They had to have a lot of knowledge. And they had a lot of knowledge, but not only had a, a lot of knowledge, a lot of us have a, no a lot of knowledge, but we don't know how to use knowledge. That's wisdom. They were to be wise. They, they, they knew how to Google and apply what the Google was to the cir circumstance, right? They were wise. And they had to have the ability to learn. That means they had to be teachable, moldable young people, not bullheaded strong. They had to be impressionable. And they had to be basically, uh, you, so we have intelligent, wise, knowledgeable, good-looking teenage young men they must also be competent to stand in the king's palace. You know, you can be young, you can be smart, you can be good looking, but you can have no social graces. And so these people actually had to know how to act around royalty. That is why they picked probably nobility. You can, you can lack etiquette in those situations. And so they had to have the ability to act properly around the king because they were representing him. And all the implications, basically, they had to have with what would happen at a court. They had to represent them well. How many people know this in business? You, you, um, <clears throat> you know, you start out on the fryer before you get to the counter. Make sense? Yeah, usually, because you need to learn how to interact with people. You need to understand uh, all these types of things. So, how much more in the highest court of the land? And so they had to have these social graces. And so you're looking here at the qualifications that the king of Babylon had to enter his re-education program. No physical defects, attractive, intelligent, wise, knowledgeable, teachable, and who know how to act in circumstances. And the aim of the king was that he would then teach them, if they met those qualifications, he would then teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans being another, another name for basically the people of of Babylon. There's a story behind that, but basically the Babylonians, <coughs> they'd be indoctrinated in the language, the philosophies, the religion, the culture, the way of thinking. And at the end of that three-year process, they would rise to serve the king. So Aspenaz does this. He takes the best looking and the brightest of the people of Israel. And verse 5 says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So the best people, the best food, the best drink, the best education. And at the end of it, they were to stand before the king to serve him. At the end of that three year, they, they, he would evaluate them and see if they, if they met it. And so this was the Babylonian brainwashing education system. This is what they did. They took people captive. Then they obviously did horrible things to them, but then they took them in and then they gave them the best of what Babylon had to offer. And then they taught them their ways. And at the end of that time, 
the very people who became their captors, they were actually serving. Verse 6. And among these, meaning the Israelites who were qualified, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Judah being that royal line. <clears throat> Just four that they're pointing out of all of them that were qualified met these things. So there were a lot of Israelis there, a lot of Jews there, but what happened is four of them are, are brought out here for a reason. And these young men were of the royal tribe of Judah, verse 7, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So they met the qualifications, and then they renamed them. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hannah, uh, Hananiah he called uh, Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. And these are the names we kind of know. We know Daniel's Daniel, but Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So part of the brainwashing was that their Jewish names would re be replaced with Babylonian names. Who they were would be replaced. You see, church, the plan was to conquer them, to take most of them, the most appealing, brightest, promising young people, and to give them the best that Babylon had to offer by way of food and drink and education with the ultimate goal that at the end of their education process, they would be fit to serve the king of Babylon. They would lose their identity as Israelis, they would forget who they were, where they came from. They would forget their God. Their names would be changed. Their identities would change. The culture that they had identified with would be changed. They'd be given all the delicacies of this new land and culture. They would be enticed. And at the end, they would be serving the very king that took them captive. And so they sought to strip these young men of their Jewish identity and replace them with a Babylonian one. And so they started with their names. They gave them new names. Jesus gave people new names. But notice what they did with Daniel's name. Daniel means God is my judge. And he was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect the king. Bel was a Babylonian god. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. He was changed to Shadrach, which means uh, a common of, of Aku, another Babylonian god. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael, Michael basically uh, means who is like the Lord. Or what is the or what is what the Lord is? Who's like the Lord? What what the Lord is? Uh, he was changed to Meshach, which means who uh, who is what a coup is. They took out God. They put in insert their God. And Azariah means Jehovah has helped, or the Lord is my helper. Was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, and that was the god of vegetation. And so the king of Babylon set out to totally brainwash and re-educate re these young men until they had become Babylonians. That's what was going on. Church, I hope you see the parallel about what's going on. 
king of Babylon is still recruiting. He is still brainwashing. He's still at work. Be mindful. Be prayerful. Especially with those of us who have sons and daughters and grandkids raised in the Lord. The king of Babylon is still at work. Seeking to take the best and the brightest from us and to entice them with all that Babylon has to offer. At the end of four short years, they are serving the king of Babylon. Make no mistake, the goal of the education system in this country is no longer just to educate. There is great education, but it's not just to educate. It is to indoctrinate. That is what's going on. And we see it in our streets today. We see it in our kids. I don't know how many of, of, of the church's kids that I've seen go off to college and they come back and they're gone. I've hardly seen any kids go away to college and come back with more zeal, more love, more holiness, more devotion to the Lord. And instead, they've been feasting on the Babylonian delicacies. They've been re-educated. They've been given new names, a new way. They've forgotten who they were, where they come from. They've forgotten the Lord. They've walked away. And I praise God for those of you who I know are in the education system who are a bright light often in a dark and difficult place. Praise God for you. Continue to serve the Lord of God in, in Babylon and, 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 and share the Lord with people. And, can, and education can be a great and wonderful thing. I'm not knocking education. I'm just saying at, the king doesn't care about the education, the king of Babylon. He cares about the indoctrination. And that is what's going on. I see far too many young men and women who are educated and beautiful and bright and intelligent who know how to act the part when they come home, yet who've forgotten where they come from, who they are, who they have told, and they've totally embraced their new name, their new kingdom under their new king, who actually is their captor. We need to know what our enemy is doing and he isn't messing around. A few today can recognize his plans for our sons and daughters, verse 8. And we are praying for the verse 8s. We're praying for the verse 8s. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. There are some who see the plan, who see the plot. Mind you, Daniel's young. He's somewhere probably between 14 and 17 years old. And he saw the plot. He saw what was going on. He knew he could link the enticements that were set before him to the end goal. The Lord gave him wisdom in this. He knew what the king was up to, and this young man did something in the face of great pressure he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel had resolve. That means he, he made his mind up. That's what that word means. He set in his heart. He purposed in his heart. He, he set his mind. He, he made it so that he, it was a done deal in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that word defile means pollute he looked at that, those enticements as pollution to him. 
In churches, we are living in a fallen world under a fallen king with everything around us that has been taken that God has made as good. And it gets turned into an enticement to entice us away from serving a God, from uh, enticing us away from our father. We too must make up our minds now. We may not have any control over our circumstances, but we must make up our minds about living for Christ in the midst of a Babylonian world, so to speak. Daniel said, I'm not going to eat the king's food, as awesome as it looks. I'm not going to drink his drink. It's the best of the land. I'm not going to do it. He chose to forego the best food and the best drink, lest he be polluted by it. Now, what, what's going on with polluted? Da- Daniel knew something that we don't. It wasn't that the meat was bad or the drink was bad. It was the best in the land. But the fact was that he knew that it had been sacrificed to idols before it got to the king's table. It was part of Babylonian culture. And he said, I'm not going to engage in this culture in that I am not going to partake in the worship of their God. I'm not going to do it. He drew the line. He knew in his heart where he had to draw the line. Daniel purposed in his heart. He put in his mind that he would not engage in the worship of these fallen gods because although he was a captive, although he was a eunuch, although he wants to, he was to be educated in the ways of the world, although they changed his name, he would never abandon God. For it was in him that he had his identity. It was in the Lord that he had his identity, and you can't take that away from him. And so this is the important thing, is that Daniel knew where to draw the line. A lot of us don't know where to draw the line. Where do you learn to draw the line? Where do we find out where to draw the line? Anybody have an answer? Talk radio? Political talking points, anyone? Whatever your boss says. Where do we draw the line? Where do we find it? The word. The word of God. Daniel knew the word. He knew the God of the word, you see? So he purposed in his heart when he saw that coming. He knew that this, taking this food, eating this drink, it was sacrificed to idols, that he would be participating in that. And so he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm drawing the line. Now, you might go, well, why didn't he, you know, why didn't he give kickback over the name change? The scripture didn't say anything about the name change. But it definitely had something to do with eating things sacrificed to idols and keeping unstained from the world, basically. Being consecrated to God. Listen, Daniel was a holy young man. He was set apart for God. We don't see this very often. And this is my the brokenness. I I mean, we look at it in my own life, my own teenage life. I was just out in the world doing worldly things. But to see a young man, a young woman who says, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to forego the best of the world. I'm willing to suffer now because I love my God and I trust in his provision for my life. 
some of us have, you know, we did, we just kind of gave up a long time ago. You know what? Like pass, pass the meat. I think there's a, there's a call for holiness within the church. You can pray for me on this. I'm not there yet. Want to be. There's a, there's a call for holiness for us to forsake the ways of the world. The entrapping is the enticements of the world and to be holy and set apart for the Lord again. And as we look at that, we go, well, then I would be going against the flow and everybody would be seeing that I'm the one not eating meat. So to speak. And there'd be suffering involved and we don't want to suffer. We don't want to rock the boat. Well, it's going to take rocking the boat and it's going to cause, it's going to, Take suffering. Because the world is relentless. Babylon's not going to stop. He's not changing his mind. He's got a plan. Scriptures say nothing about masks and social distancing unless you're a leper. But they do have a lot to say ab- about the command to gather together, to worship God in singing and the word, and to love one another deeply from the heart. And where the decrees of the earthly kings and governors tell us that we will not gather, we will gather, not in rebellion, but in obedience to God. Where it tells us that we are not to love one another, that we can't hug one another, that we can't be in each other's presence, we will disobey the governor and we will obey God. When led by the Spirit. Obviously, we're not forcing ourselves on others. I want to make that clear, right? Love one another deeply from the heart. Be around one another. This is why I'm saying it's important to gather together. Trust God a little bit. He intends that we sing. He intends that we fellowship. He intends that we worship him. That's where we draw the line, church. Why are we spread out? Because we're trying to submit to the king. This one. Right? We are in Babylon, are we not? Yeah. We're exiles. We're captives. It's only for a time before we're released. But in the meantime, it's a witness. And our witness is not only in our submission, but it's also in our obedience to the Lord. You see that? Our witness is when they say, you can't gather together that we go, no, not out of rebellion, it's my right, but no, I'm called to be with my brothers and sisters. And so I will be with them. And that's what's going to happen. And I will suffer accordingly. See, love for the Lord leads us forward, not this indignant rebellion that is in us all, especially me. But in, think about your individual lives and, and in your families and in your schoolwork. Where do you draw the lines? Know your word. Know the God of the word and, and draw those lines accordingly. You serve the Lord above all. Like Daniel, you make up your mind according to the word of God. And you, you're going to have to listen. This is important. This is why I want to be in the book of Daniel because it talks about these things. And Daniel isn't going Oh, king, you know, just hope you don't get reelected and and die in a car crash. None of that's coming out of Daniel's mouth. Oh, king, live forever. You see, Daniel was submitted. And yet, 
he was ultimately more submitted to God. He, he was in total obedience to the Lord. And we're going to see this as we go through here. But like Daniel, you have to know where to draw the line. Seek the Lord on it. And if you're wrestling with something, if something feels off, continue to seek him until you get that peace, not just the feeling, but according to the word that you're lined up with it. And that can take, take a while. Well, the elders and I have been wrestling with all this for so long with everything that's been coming up and down. You guys have been too in your personal lives and you got your own personal opinions. And listen, we just want to be in, in harmony with the spirit of God. Amen. And let him deal with everybody else. But the world doesn't care about, about your commitment to God, by the way. Did you know that? Just want you to know the world does not care about your commitment to God. They might superficially, but really it's an obstacle to the re-education program that's going on. You know that? It's an obstacle. They'll put up with it as long as you ultimately go along. Know where to draw the line, church. So Daniel, in verse 8, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, you know, basically, if you do this and, and it doesn't work out, I'm going to die. Listen, he had favor in that he said, he didn't just say, no, take a hike. He's explaining his position. Listen, I have compassion on you. I see your position. I know you want to honor your God. But listen, it's my head at the end of the day. And apparently, um, real quickly, notice Daniel just didn't rebel. He tried to work it out first. Do you see that? He went to the person and he talked to them. He tried to reason with them. He explained his position. I just think we need to try these things. Here's the thing is that Daniel sought to honor God. And as Daniel sought to honor God in his daily circumstances, guess what God did? He honored Daniel. And he worked in his boss's heart and gave his boss compassion for him and understanding. How many of you need a little passion, compassion and understanding as you try to serve, follow God and serve God in this world? Listen, God will place people in specific places that no one else can arrange and he will give you the mercies you need for the moment. Just honor him. Wake up and choose in your heart. I will not defile myself. I'm going to follow you today. It's going to be difficult, Lord. Give me mercy and you'll run into those people that God will put in your path and give you the grace for the moment that you need. Trust him. He will do it. He's good. If he doesn't, he has a plan in it. But apparently, He's explaining, I'm going to die. And so verse 11 happens. Apparently this conversation is happening in front of another person or in some kind of harmonious communication situation. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So the guy who was lower, he says, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance uh, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and, and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah all wanted to live holy lives in difficult circumstances. Anyone else relate? And instead of rebelling, he asked and God gave him favor. 
He said, just test me, test me. He worked with them and he said, okay, let's do it for 10 days. Instead of eating the king's stuff, we're gonna, you're going to eat vegetables. And that word for vegetables just means wheat and, wheat and vegetables and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's anything but meat, basically. So many take this verse. How many of you read this and, and kind of taken it as, okay, this, the Bible is all about vegetarian diet. How many of you have done that? This is not about vegetarianism. This is about holiness. Okay? This is about holiness. That's what this is about. The king, it wasn't the vegetables that were sacrificed to idols. It wasn't water. It was the wine and the meat. That's why we find in the New Testament, Paul says, listen, everything's good. Eat it. But if you find out that it's been served to an idol and you're around a non-believer, don't eat it. Not for your sake. You know it's just meat. And an idol is just simply a representative of a demon. It's for their sake, for their conscience. You don't do it. So they know it's wrong. Make sense? This is not a vegetarian thing. If you want to eat vegetarian, go for it. But don't grab the verses and say, see? The desire to honor God to the degree that they were willing to suffer the loss of delicacies. Are you willing to live holy in such a way that you might suffer the delicacies of this world in order to honor God? And at the end of 10 days, verse 15, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. God's going to honor those who honor him. God supernaturally intervened. They were better off than all the youths, all the youths who ate the king's food. Who are those youths? The other Jews. The other Jews. The ones who were supposed to be set apart for the Lord. Supposed to be holy. The ones who were all good looking and intelligent and qualified and all these types of things. These guys were better off with obeying the Lord. You're going to be better off, church, in obedience and holiness than you are going with the world. Verse 16, so the steward took away their food and probably ate it himself. And the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Again, just non-meat stuff. Verse 17, and as for these four youths, God gave them what? He gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. The king of Babylon wanted them to be educated, but guess what? God gave them learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so these four young men devoted themselves to God and God blessed them. How did he bless them? He blessed them practically. I think that's important. How many of you guys need wisdom in, in what you're doing in life? How many need a little bit of help with learning? How many of you kind of get stuck in something and you just go to YouTube immediately to figure it out? I'm telling you, you can go to the Babylonian, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to be sit there and try to figure out how to put my car together and go, oh God, you know, please magically make my, you know, exhaust work or whatever it is. You know, of course he's going to do that. But you pray as you go. You ask the Lord for wisdom and help and all these things, right? And I don't know about you how many times I've prayed my car started. So just pray always. But the idea here is that God gave them what they needed in the position he put them in. And he really gave it to them. Learning and skill and literature, wisdom. You see, at Babylon University, there were those who were very smart, intelligent, wise, and young. But these young men and women were gifted by God and that their learning and skill and literature and wisdom was beyond 
Have you ever met someone really blessed by God and it's, you can tell that it's God's hand upon them? You just see that the Lord has really blessed them and they're set apart from this world and they're just gifted by God. He's just given them something that's just special and beyond. There's a humility that comes along with that. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. So they were gifted in the practical things and as we're kind of getting to the end here, and God also blessed Daniel spiritually. He gave them spiritual gifts and particularly Daniel what he needed for the position he was in. God will gift you spiritually for the place he's called you to in life and what he's called you to serve. And for Daniel, it was being gifted in visions and dreams. Visions are prophetic understanding when you're awake and prophetic understanding in your sleep is dreams. And so he, he gave him that ability. Daniel, like Joseph, had that spiritual insight and it was given to him by God to fulfill his purposes How many of you are seeking after gifts that God hasn't given you? I would just start asking God, give me the gifts that you desire that I have for the life you've prepared for me. Equip me fully that I may be responsible with them and honor you in them and let's go. You are you. And we are a body. And it would be horrible if we were all thumbs. Right? Be creepy. No, we're beautifully and wonderfully made by the Lord and the Spirit each gives you a gifting that blesses the body as a whole and they're used for his purposes in this time and space that he's put us in for his glory. Lean into them, use them, do not neglect them. Lean into them and God will empower you in using them to edify the church and to glorify his name. Verse 18 we're going to get more into Daniel's visions and dreams next week. That's where we go next week, straight into visions and dreams. Verse 18, at the, end of the, at the end of the time, at the end of the three years, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of time, meaning obviously three years, he was going to evaluate them. And verse 19 happens, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, therefore they stood before the king. They served before the king. They went through Babylonian college. They were holy before the Lord, and God elevated them. It's possible, folks. Amen? Praise the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. How important is it that we not just church our kids, but preach the gospel to them. That they would truly know the gospel, not how to church, but know God in Jesus. They would know him. Not how to go about church, but know his personality, know his character, know his love, know his wrath. Be afraid and at the same time in awe and love of God of all he is as as a little person and grow in that understanding. Don't withhold the truth of the gospel from them. Yeah, of course you need to be age appropriate. You don't want to talk about people being cut up and sent all over the country like in Judges to two-year-old probably, right? But you want to talk about the hard issues about sin and about judgment 
and also about forgiveness and love and the great mercy of God. And then we model it in our lives. When we're wrong, we say, well, I'm sorry for, and forgive me. And this was wrong. And this is why. And we point them back to the scriptures, back to the scriptures, back to the scriptures. That's where they find truth. That's where they find truth. That's where they find truth. Because they need to know where to draw the line. And they're going to find it from you, parents. Where do you find your lines from? May it be from the Holy Spirit in the word. And the king spoke with these and there was none like them. And they stood before the king. Listen, this world is increasingly Babylonian, if you haven't noticed. And it's not going to get any better as I read these things. So we need Daniels. And we need Daniela's. Amen? And not just the teenagers, but we need some seasoned saints. We need some people who've had some years under their belt with the Lord, some failures who've been humbled by God and who know how to call out truth and yet love fiercely. If you're old, I'm going to say the word old because I'm not PC. We love you. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your failures. We need your heart and your walk with the Lord. Our, our, you know, we worship these things. The Babylon worships youth. They worship the outside. They don't care about character in the end. They say they do, but ultimately a character that is set apart for God, they want nothing to do with. And to have a Moses around us and these seasoned saints that really truly have walked with the years. And that's what we're going to see with Daniel a life of faithfulness all the way through to the end, to the very end. He says, he's, and we're going to get there in a second, but he was there till King Cyrus. That's the next administration after the Babylonians get wiped away after 70 years. We need you. Hang in there. Love the Lord. Stand firm. Be in the word. Stand for truth. You know, all those things I don't want to get. But the world is, will value you if you are good looking. The world will value you if you are smart, it looks to the values of those superficial qualities ultimately. But what we, what we are dying for in the church and in this world are young men, young women, and men and women of character who know the Lord, who know truth, who know how to stand for truth in a wicked and perverse generation and yet still love. That's what we need. We need someone with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what the church is to be. God looks past those superficial characteristics, although he endows people with these people. Obviously, there are a lot of good-looking people in the Bible. It's not saying that's a bad situation. But it's also a danger because we tend to put those people up on a pedestal. When we know God looks through all of that and he looks to the heart. He looks to our character. And God will give you favor and will bless you and will gift you and will use you to glorify him and for his purposes as you seek first his kingdom in this generation. 
So in closing, verses 20 and 21, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, enchanters that were in the kingdom. All that the world had to offer didn't match with a young man, young woman, who was filled with the Spirit of God. And it says in verse 21, And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. That's the, that's the Medo-Persian empire that came in. And that's when you read in the post-exilic um, books when they go back into the land and Daniel is part of that uh, initial handing of the baton. So church, beautiful book. I got through the whole chapter, Daniel. We're all alive. It's awesome. I think there's a lot the Lord would want to say to you this morning, and I just pray that you would take in what the Spirit has said from his word, throw out whatever he didn't, and say, Lord, change me, use me, and, and, and there's, there should be conviction and hope. <laughs> there should be conviction and hope when we come to the word, because that's what the Lord does. He cuts to the point, and then he and prods you on to, to, to him where the hope is. So I pray that there would be repentance in our hearts this morning, but also just fortitude and strength and resolve for what we're going to face and what you are facing. May the Lord bless you and just pour it out upon you in and through you this week. As you go out and you are the, the Daniels and the Daniela's of this world, amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, as you are going to reveal yourself to be as we go through Daniel. And we know ultimately the, the kingdoms of men are going to fall. COVID is going to go away. Our, our, our lives are going to be wrapped up in dust, Lord, and we are going to be before your throne where the true kingdom of God is going to be seen in its fullness. We know it's here. It's in our hearts. It's active. Lord, we long for the day that you return. We long for the day that we see you face to face and you make all things right. But until then, God, may we purpose in our hearts. May we have resolve to be holy and set apart unto you. Teach us how to do that, Lord, today and give us favor with people around us as we try to honor you, as we seek to honor you, and we do honor you this week. Lord, there's difficult matters facing each of these people, Lord, and we lift them up before your throne. We, we don't need the world's wisdom. We need your wisdom and your intervention in these circumstances. And so, God, speak, move, and act that you would be glorified, that your name would go forward, that your gospel would be presented in not only in word, but in deed and in action and power. And ultimately, Lord, we, 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 just, we just ask for your help. And we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.